I'm also going to be meeting with uh, Baylor University Press. For those of you who know, my dissertation uh, was passed last uh, June, 2015 in June, and uh, Baylor has graciously um, decided to publish it with their university press, and uh, so it should be coming out September 2017, and I got to meet with them and finalize a few things, so thank you. And so I, yeah, thanks. And I, and I hope that I can uh, represent Coast Bible Church, um, our, our, our mighty congregation, uh, in, in the world a little bit. So that's happening. Um, today, though, uh, I kind of wanted to, you know, just kind of level with you a little bit. Um, sometimes I, uh, I worry about this place. Um, I do because I grew up here. I've been here since 1990. Uh, for those, I say it all the time. I, I, I'm a broken record, and I apologize for that. But it's true because it's deep. It's deep in my heart how much I love this place. Uh, Coast Bible Church is where I fell in love with the Bible. It's where I fell in love with doctrine. It's where I, fell, where I found out that just because you're not related by blood, just because you don't share uh, the same heritage, just because you don't have the same amount of money, just because you don't have um, all the things that the world says are so important in common, doesn't mean you can't be family. This is the place where I learned that what life really should be around is God, and the way he preserves that is by three things, Bible, grace, and family. That's who we are. And so I worry sometimes. I worry because, um, you know, we're, we're coming up on our 50th anniversary, July. July of 2017, 50 years, 1967, Coast Bible Church uh, was founded. We're coming up on 50 years. And then sometimes I start to think, what's it going to be like in 2067? A lot of us aren't going to be here. I probably won't be here, statistically speaking. I mean, I'm right on the edge, right? I'll be, I think I'll be in my 80s. So if they get some really great new medicine, maybe I can, I can be here for the 100 year. But I sometimes wonder, what, what, is, is this church still going to be here? Is it still going to be the church on the hill? I worry that this place will somehow founder. Uh, I, I think we have a, a picture of, uh, of Harvard. Um, this is uh, Andover Hall. At Harvard University, it's where their divinity school meets. This particular building was built in the 1800s. By the time this this, uh, building was built, uh, if you were a seminary student at Harvard, you probably didn't believe in most of the things that traditionally Christians believe. Harvard was founded in uh, 1636 or 38, I can't remember exactly, but in the 1600s by by Calvinists, by by Puritans, who came over seeking religious freedom. And they wanted to make sure that their clergy and their ministers were were well-founded in doctrine and the word and and would, would hold it fast for people. Just 50 years later, around 1700, you could no longer trust that a Harvard grad believed in the Trinity that a Harvard grad believed in the resurrection or the incarnation. By 1800, the, the, the school was confessionally Unitarian, which means that they just, the school just did away with the Trinity altogether, which is like a foundational thing of Christian faith. Just 150 years after it was founded. And sometimes I worry, what about Coast Bible Church? Are we going to make it to 100 is this going to be the place that my children grow up and are, are, are you know, situated, embedded into the things that matter so deeply to me and I believe to, to you as well? Situated, embedded in a, in a, in a firm conviction that this is what life is really about. Not all that stuff out there. Or are we going to end up like Harvard? How 
do we know? How do we know that Coast Bible Church is going to make it for the next 50 years? How can we be sure that this place is going to hit the next 50 it's kind of a scary question, especially as we, as we kind of see what's going on in the culture. You know, the culture seems to get farther and farther and farther away. The culture kind of seems like Harvard, you know? It started out here, and, and it's just walking away a little bit at a time. How do we know? Well, one of the cool things is that today in, in Ephesians 6, Paul's going to address that, that, that question head on. He's going to punch it right on. He's going to give us exactly what it takes to make sure that we don't get off course, that things don't fall apart, that, friends, this is, this is deep for me. We can talk about it now. Um, it's been 20 years, but in, in 1998, this church split. I was a junior in high school. I remember feeling like people who had been family, it was like going through a divorce, to be honest with you. People that I loved and had loved me were just gone. Schism's a real thing that happens to churches. Or, or other churches, sometimes they, they run out of, of cash. And I know that our elders and finance committee are being really, really judicious to make sure that doesn't happen to us. But those are things that happen. And so when I was growing up, I really believed that this, nothing could ever happen to this place, right? It's going to be here forever. No. Institutions are fragile. And yeah, we have the Holy Spirit, but they had the Holy Spirit in, in Asia Minor too. And Asia Minor is not faithful anymore. How do we know that Coast Bible Church is going to be okay 50 years from now? Let's look at it. Let's look at Ephesians 6. Let's hear what Paul has to say. It's, it's on the screen. Uh, you, can, you can check out um, your, your Bibles in the pew if you like. Um, this is what he says. He says, Finally, my brethren, my, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or stratagems of the devil. For we do not battle, wrestle is is one way, but we don't don't strive or, or struggle or combat against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We talked a couple months ago about the sky realms where these... These, these things kind of behind the scenes are happening to influence our lives. Therefore, Ephesus, therefore, Coast Bible Church, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, most important. Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery or flaming arrows of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're not going to cover that that whole text today. We're going to pick out a few things that are really important for just that real question. How do we keep coast safe for the next 50 years? It's funny, when you listen to it, there's one word that just keeps popping out in English, and it's the same in Greek. I mean, if you're listening to it, it's just like highlighted. It's that word stand, 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 withstand. You've got to be able to stand. And that stand, therefore, so you've got it all. You take up the whole armor and stand. What's going on is, is this, this text is about defense, not about offense. This is the first thing in your note sheets. Paul calls Christians to defend the integrity of the church won by the blood of Christ. 
Paul calls Christians to defend the integrity of the church won by the blood of Jesus Christ. This isn't, you know, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid, my parents, uh, I think they went to like a, a Christian bookstore. And they had these, uh, these plastic armor outfits. And it was the armor of God. It was from Ephesians. And maybe you've seen them. They, it was kind of more medieval than, than Roman, but at least mine. But it was the coolest thing. And I loved, I loved wearing that thing when I was a little guy. Um, you know, the, the breastplate had like little studs on it. It's like sharp. So like I guess you would like ram people. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, there was a helmet that went with it. There's this really cool shield. You know, had like a cross on it. Um, and there was a plastic sword. That was my favorite part, right? The plastic sword. You want to go kill people. You want to slay some dragons, right? Well, uh, that plastic sword was no good. It, it, it cracked really quick. I just like smacked it and it bent in half. Thankfully, my next door neighbor, Glenn, was a woodworker and he created some very cool wooden swords, um, which were much more effective for hurting people, uh, which is great. Thanks, Glenn. Um, but when I, when, I, when I was a kid and I heard this text, I'm thinking about killing, thinking about fighting, offense, go after it, attack, attack, attack. It's funny, uh, one of the things that you don't hear in this text, I mean, he's talking about Roman infantry, or like heavy infantry from the first century, right? And, and Roman infantry had this, this, this uh, they had a number of different weapons. It wasn't just the short sword, the gladius, which he mentions at the end of this text. But they also, um, their primary offensive weapons weren't swords at all. They were actually uh, javelins, spears. And the idea was, so you're, you're getting up against the enemy and you're going to attack them, right? And so you take these big, heavy spears and you launch them. And the goal is not actually to, to hit anybody, although that's great if it happens. Uh, war, yay. Uh, it's great if it happens. But really what you want to do is you want to make sure they've got their shield up, right? And your big heavy javelin hits their shield, breaks through it, and suddenly it's real heavy, real unwieldy. And now they, they can't move it really well, right? Because there's this big thing sticking out of it, real heavy. And so what they, the enemy would do would be to drop their shields, and then their unprotected, or they would try to use it, in which case when you, when you got to him, you had your second spear, which is what you'd use for combat. You'd be doing this, right? That was offensive Roman infantry tactics. And really, you only whipped out the sword when it got really intense, really tight. Offense was spears and javelins. Notice Paul doesn't mention that in this text. He doesn't talk about the spears and javelins. He doesn't talk about that because he's talking about not going after and attacking. He's talking about defending. Why? Because the war's already won. Because the battle that you think you're fighting was already won in Jesus Christ. When he came, he chose us and delivered us and secured us and created this place, the church. That's what Jesus did when he came. You were in, in chains. You were chained to your sin. You were chained to death. He came and his death broke those chains. And, and those principalities and powers that Paul talks about in this text, they owned you. But Jesus sundered their ownership of you. He broke those chains, so you're free now. The battle is already won. The principalities, the powers, they know that. They know that this is a freehold, a safe place, where men and women are no longer owned by the enemy. And that terrifies them. And so the enemy is thinking all the time about how to destroy this place. The enemy is constantly coming up with ways, in the text, stratagems, of tactical assaults to undermine and destroy Coast Bible Church, this place that I and I believe you love. And so Paul says, stand. 
If you're going to do it, if you're going to survive this thing, it's not about going out and beating up the principality and the powers. What do you think you're going to do? Trust me, Jesus already did it. In fact, we'll probably talk uh, in a couple of weeks about the sword of the Spirit, the one offensive weapon, but it's, it's the message of God. It's, it's the message of the gospel, right? We don't, ha- we don't have, how are we going to fight against invisible powers? We can't do that. That's something that Jesus already did. Instead, what we're supposed to do is protect this place. Defend it. Mount up. Put, put up a, 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 a line in the sand that says, Powers, you've got the whole culture. Enjoy it. You don't have us. This place is safe. This place is governed by a different set of rules, a different way of doing things. It's ruled by grace in a world that is ruled by power and by judgment. This is a place that's ruled by the scriptures in contrast to a world that's ruled by whatever is the hottest thing that people think. This is a place where everyone's family rather than a world where everyone's at war. So if you're in the uh, Roman infantry and Paul, he's, he's probably writing this um, from Rome. He's probably uh, under house arrest and he's probably pretty familiar with uh, the Roman infantry at this point. And, and one of the things that we know from, uh, from history is that the Roman infantry was not, um, the Roman infantry was, they were the baddest. When they showed up on the field, you know, tuck tail and run. Uh, not only were they more fit than you, that was their, their biggest, one of their biggest advantages, they, they trained all the time. So they were so fit, so, so um, athletic. But not only that, they had a mental fortitude, a mental kind of toughness that nobody else could match. And, and what that meant was, all right, so I've never been in combat. I know that some of you in this congregation have. Combat's apparently a very disorienting, chaotic thing, very frightening. And one of the hardest things to do when you're in the middle of combat, or even any high-stress, high-tension, chaotic environment, is, is to, to keep your head, right? You're, you're constantly about to just go off. Well, the Roman infantry was renowned over the world for being able, in the midst of a hot combat environment, to, to take an order and form up. In the middle of arrows flying and, and combat going, any order that the legion's commander gave, the, 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 the troops would immediately follow it with incredible discipline and incredible speed. And their most famous tactic, their most famous formation, was a defensive one. What would happen is that the Goths, the barbarians, would, would light arrows on fire. You heard them in that text, the flaming arrows. And they would want to thin out the ranks of the Roman soldiers. And so they would raise their bows. And as soon as they raised their bows, the legion commander would yell out, Ad testudinum. Ad testudinum. Ad two or four. Testudinum. Tortoise. To the tortoise. Form the turtle. In contemporary English, turtle up. In order to defend the church, Christians are called to turtle up. When you hear those flaming arrows and you're thinking in terms of Roman military tactics, you know what they did. They turtled up. That's the second thing in your note sheets. They turtle up. Um, and, and some of you who've seen, there's movies about this. I, I didn't include a picture of one because I think it was rated R. And I don't, wanna, I don't want anyone to think that I've ever seen a rated R movie. Um, but, but there are examples in, in, of, of seeing this. We can actually, I, I have a couple um, examples here to, to give you an idea of what the turtle looked like when it, when it happened on the field. There's the turtle. And you can see those, 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 those arrows, they're just nothing, right? These are some uh, modern reenactors that got their turtle on. 
walking down the streets in this world. And you notice it looks a little bit like a tank, right? It was a, it's the very first version of a tank. And you can see uh, the advantage of the turtle, right? If, if all those arrows are coming down, in fact, a lot of times uh, what they would do when the arrows came is they would halt. They would stand, stand fast. And they would hunker down a little bit. And they would wait, and the flaming arrows would come and hit the turtle all over it. Now, these um, shields were made out of wood, but what the Roman legion would do, knowing that they were going to turtle up, is they would soak leather, and they would attach it to the front of the shield, so that when the the flaming arrows came down, they would hit wet leather and immediately be extinguished. And so the the turtle would, would stand and wait, and as soon as that volley had come in, then the turtle would wait, and when the, when the onrush of soldiers came in, no one in the turtles hurt, and then they would use those little gladius, those little swords, and they would start poking at the attacking enemies. One of the things you notice about that is that there are some people in that turtle whose job isn't to protect themselves, right? It's to protect the man next to them. You know, so there's some guys in the middle whose, whose shields are, are up and they're, and they're protecting the person in front of them or, or behind them so that that person can take their shield and put it to the side, right? And there's a person up front who's defending the front knowing that his buddy behind him is going to protect his, his head, his top. The thing you notice the most about the turtle is that it's not about protecting yourself so much as it's protecting the people around you. Imagine, if you will, you're in combat. Tom's there. They, they signed me up, kicking and screaming, got me into the Legion. Uh, it's a terrible choice. <laughs> They're one of their weaker units. So they want to get rid of me, so they put me on the front line. Uh, David did that to somebody, killed him. Uh, they put me on the front line, and, and that's, this is not my day, right? Um, I, I love combat. I love battling. I like, but the problem is I always feel like um, I really just want to get the mud in between my toes, you know, I like, I like the feeling of, of grass underneath my feet. And I'm just sick and tired of wearing my greaves, or my, not my greaves, my, uh, my, my boots. Um, these ones are early Roman, so you can see that they, it, those are leather sandals. But by the time of the first century, they had uh, protection, the shin guards almost. And I'm just, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of wearing my boots. I'm tired of wearing anything that's going to protect, because I really want to have, I want to have my feet on the ground. So that, this day, I'm like, eh, forget it. And I leave my boots at home. I leave my uh, protected shin guards. And I just say, bah, what, why bother? And that first volley of flaming arrows comes, and one, of course, hits me right in the shin. And because I'm not wearing my armor, it shatters it, and suddenly I go down. And I take my shield with me, right? They, they signed up my buddy Doug. He's behind me. But it's no problem. Nothing, so I go down, right? No, I go down like that. My shield comes with me, and then the arrow comes right And it, my shield should have been there, but now my shield's over here. So it comes right over my shoulder, hits him right, right in the chest. Normally, that wouldn't be a problem, because he normally wears his breastplate. But today, Doug's been working out a lot. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but his pecs are, you know, really defined. And that, that, that issued armor, it just doesn't fit as well anymore, and he wants to breathe a little bit on the battlefield. So he's like, ah, I know we're going to be in the turtle anyway. I'm going to leave my breastplate at home. Forget it. So the arrow comes. He's got no breastplate. goes right through his chest. Oof. Sorry, Doug. You're out. I'm, I'm going I'm to survive this battle. I'm going to play dead. But you're done. You're done. I'm sorry, buddy. You're out. So he goes down. It just so happens that Doug had his shield over the guy next to him, Jesse. And Jesse, unfortunately, that day decided 
I hate the way this helmet makes my, hat, my head feel. It's so hot. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're skiing all day and it's starting to get a little warm and, and your head's steaming. And so you just got to take your stocking cap off. That's how he feels about his helmet of salvation or whatever, his helmet. So he takes that thing off and the arrow that would have glanced on it goes right through his head. Sorry, Jesse, you're out too. And you'll notice that he was on the side of the turtle and his, his shield goes down. And suddenly the whole turtle starts to disintegrate because a couple of us decided, ah, we don't need that piece. The armor of God isn't about you primarily. It's about the person next to you. In your note sheets, your armor isn't just for you. I know this is cheesy. I'm rhyming again. Hopefully you'll remember it. Your armor isn't just for you, but everyone else in the pew. Lol. Did you notice the meter on that? I really worked hard. About, you know, three in the morning, I was like, I gotta have a great rhyme. So I played with it a little bit. Doesn't it flow, though? It isn't just about you, but everyone else in the pew. Because if I go down with my shin attack, and Doug goes down with his chest, and and Jesse goes down with his head, suddenly the whole thing falls apart. And we scatter. And this place that we love is gone. When you're, when you're reading this text, you can, um, you, can, you can hear it. You can hear it. It's interesting. You wonder, you know, the armor of God, right? When you're first reading this text, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you kind of expect the armor of God to be something like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, my kids sing that song a lot, so I, I know it pretty well. Uh, that's what you expect, Right? You expect that to be the armor of God, because that's really good. Those are Christian virtues. Those are important things. Why isn't it not that? Instead, what, is, what does it say? I mean, it, what, what, what does Paul say? He, he says, he says um, you've got a waist with truth, so like a belt of truth, truth, a breastplate of righteousness, um, righteousness, preparation of the gospel of peace for your feet. All right? Uh, you've got the shield of faith. Uh, you've got the, the helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit, salvation, truth, uh, the gospel of shalom, peace, um, uh, the uh, righteousness on, on the chest, uh, salvation. Those, those are the things Paul's names. Why? Why is that? Because he's thinking about all of the things that went wrong at Harvard. He's thinking about all the things that can go wrong at Coast Bible Church as an institution, as a place. He's thinking about what can take the church from here to there. I mean, just the example, truth. I mean, that was the thing at Harvard, right? They're just like, eh, we can fudge, you know, some of the details. And it wasn't just the details they fudged. It was the basic stuff that makes us Christians. Trinity, incarnation, resurrection. Without that, we have no gospel, friends. And when you let that go, it's like you're walking out in your turtle and you're trying to keep your pants up and keep your shield up at the same time. It doesn't work. In fact, what happens is that the turtle itself falls apart. And, and we see this in a lot of congregations. They just, it's dead because they, they've got no handle on how the world actually is anymore. They've lost it. Or uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, uh, Greek, dikaisune, uh, it can be justice or righteousness. They kind of keep those ideas together in a way that we probably don't in English. But it's moral uprightness, Right? And it's, and it's ordering our, our community, our place, the same way that God orders the world or wants it ordered. It's having that exact way that God sees things ought to be and doing that. Now, of course, that's impossible. But everybody here knows what happens 
when there's catastrophic moral failure in a church. When you lose that integrity, that trust between people frays because they're not on the same team anymore. We've all seen and heard stories of of places, especially in leadership, when someone has a catastrophic failure of of morality. What that does to a community of faith, and it's not just leaders, but but the, the, the people in general, if they stop being convicted about being holy people, it starts to fall apart. If they stop caring about justice and ordering the world the way that God wants it ordered, the church itself fades and falls apart. It's like Doug out there with his gleaming pecs pierced with a fiery arrow. My shoes. Notice he says the gospel of peace. Shalom. You know, the church is the only place where, if you've been with us in Ephesians, you've heard it over and over. It's the only place where it doesn't matter about how much money you've got, what race you are, whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or free. It doesn't matter. Here, we're all one. We have peace. We live a robust, full life together. And we don't have to have, be divided up the way the world says we ought to be. But when you lose that message that we're together, we are one, when you lose it, what happens? You schism. You start to be the rich versus the poor, or this ethnicity versus that ethnicity, or sometimes we can even uh, make it about other things. I mean, we can make it about who's got what, or who believes this little thing versus that little thing. And we, who's a Democrat? Who's a Republican? You can make it about anything. And what happens is over time, that corrodes your community. And that peace, that shalom, it fractures, and you break apart. I'm not going to do an autopsy on our church 20 years ago, but we did schism. We lost that message that we have peace together and we live a robust life. The helmet of salvation. It's not, it's the assurance, it's the knowledge, the sure knowledge that we're saved, we're rescued. Jesus did it, it's over, it's done with. This is especially pressing right now. If you don't know that and you don't believe that, then guess what? What happens in here doesn't matter as much as what happens out there. Because if you're not sure that God has saved you, that you are set on an irreversible course for heaven and glory, then boy, doesn't it all boil down to everything that goes on out there. I mean, we have seen over the last week, there are a whole bunch of people in this country who, they, for them, the only thing that matters <laughs> is Donald Trump not being president. And they are throwing riots. There is anger. There is protest, there is sadness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. There is an absolute failure of people to have any sense of perspective. Why? Because they have no salvation. Their only salvation was what? Left-wing politics, whatever it is. That's the only hope? That's it? Well, yeah, of course the thing's gonna, everything's going to fall apart when things don't go your way. Instead, I know people on the left and the right side of the aisle in this very place, and I know that some people are happy and some people are, ha- are sad on Tuesday, but I also, know, I also know that every person here has sure faith, sure knowledge of where they're going to be at the end. And so this place is safe, and it is not tossed to and fro by the way the culture does or doesn't go. I just rhymed again. I apologize. We'll keep that to a minimum. That was not planned. Do you hear above all? Most important, take up the shield of faith. I want to suggest to you this isn't faith as in like trust. 
Um, in, in Greek, uh, it can go either way. It can be, or it can be both sometimes. Uh, belief, or also faith, what we think of as faithfulness. Loyalty. Kind of that loyal trust. Uh, Doug talked a little bit earlier about loyal love that God has for us. You think about that turtle, right? If you're in that turtle, and you don't have absolute commitment to the people around you, you're in a lot of trouble. If you don't trust them to have your back or your head or your side, you're in a lot of trouble. If you're not 100% committed to Jesus and to the people here, you're in a lot of trouble, and this place can fall apart very quickly. The shield of faith, I, I, I believe it, and there are people who disagree with me, but I believe it's the shield of faithfulness. I think that Paul's already talked about truth. He's already talked about who, who Jesus is. That, that's the belt. He's already talked about your salvation by grace through faith. That's the helmet. I think that when he talks about the, the, the shield, he's talking about people who won't give up on each other and who won't give up on Jesus and his call. And that is utterly against what happens out there where when things go bad, you drop it, move on to the next. Church isn't working out for you, Stop. Your business isn't working out for you, go bankrupt. Do something. But whenever things get hard or difficult or challenging, now we need safe spaces, right? You got to go someplace where you can get away and and run away. No, that's not how Jesus does things. That's not what he asks from us. He asks us to imitate the same hesed, loyal, loyal love of God. And he asks us to do it for him and for each other. And when you do that, when you have that shield up, that very first line of defense against the flaming arrows of the enemy, the turtle, the, the whole community stands fast and does not fade. We'll talk in a couple of weeks about that, uh, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. I think, we've, uh, I think we've heard it today. The point is, friends, your armor isn't so that you look good so that you're shiny in the mirror. Your armor is not so that you're protected, so that, that you can do your solo thing, you're on your own, that you can do your Christianity and not work. That's not what your armor is for. Your full, complete set of heavy infantry armor, the truth, the gospel of peace, the righteousness, the faith, the salvation, all of it is for the man next to you. The, the man to your left, the woman to your right, the children in front of you and behind you. That's how you protect the turtle. It isn't for you, but for everyone else in the pew. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a people who... We know, God, that we have to be standing strong, that we are in the middle of a spiritual war, that there are forces that seek to destroy this place, that seek to tear it apart, to undermine it, to schism it, to ruin it, to take us away from our message, to take us away from our mission, to ultimately take us away from each other and from you. To make us ineffective and weak. And God, we thank you for armor. We pray that we will be people who take up every piece, every last bit, so that we'll be able to stand fast as a community, protecting each other, making this place thrive making it move forward into the future, protecting it for the next 50 years. I ask God that 
any person here who lacks a good sense of your truth, anyone who lacks a, a strong assurance of your salvation, anyone who, who isn't quite sure how to be loyal, how to be faithful, anyone who, who, who doesn't have righteousness built in deep, anybody who, who isn't quite sure how to be a person of peace in this place with these people, living robust life together, anyone who's lacking any of those things, God, please stir up in their heart a desire and a need and a willingness to go forward and seize it, to receive it from your hands in this place with these people. I pray, God, that this church will thrive for another 50 years, that our kids and grandkids will be at home here, grow up here, be strong here for you, waiting patiently for your return. We ask all this, God, in your name. In the name of your son, you who've won the victory and made this place possible, Jesus, amen.